and welcome to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. Hello everybody and welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Fly and Changes Mindset and Performance Show. And this morning I'm very thrilled to be live here with Cassie Gadsby. Hi Cassie. Morning, morning everybody from sunny Morning, Cornwall. morning. I know, lovely bit of the world that you're in, isn't it? Gorgeous down there. And the sun, when the sun shines, it's so lovely down there, isn't it? It's like being on holiday all the time. It is. We can't go anywhere this week because G7. But we are looking out because we're looking for all the um, big wigs, planes going over. So uh, ah. we'll be plane spotting this week. Yeah, the G7 summit's happening this week down at Carbis Bay. So um, it's probably a case of not going out anywhere on the road, but keeping your eyes out mm. for like Air Force One and stuff going over, which is going to be quite Ooh. cool. Very exciting. So you're going to be looking at the sky a lot this week then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'll be quite, you, quite fun, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Air Force One, that must be quite a good one. Even if you're not a plane spotter, it's pretty cool kind of thing. Oh, look, here they come. So that's just down the road from you, isn't it? Yeah. It's, luckily for us, it's, it's a little bit further down the road. So uh, because, um, you know, they're, they're closing off a lot of the roads and things. Mm. It makes it quite awkward for, for you know, people who live down there. But it's... Um, for us, a bit further up, it's quite nice, really, because we can kind of, we know it's going on, but it's far enough away to not cause us an issue. Yeah, nice. And so your your lovely life down in Cornwall, you've got your uh, part-bred Lusitanos, you've got um, your lovely daughter and her pony, you've got lots of things going on. So just tell us a little bit, for anyone who hasn't met you before, um, what it is that you do, Cassie. Uh, well, like you said, uh, we live in Cornwall. We're very blessed. We've lived here for... Uh, probably about 20 years now so I'm definitely not Cornish born and bred not 15 generations I'm probably not accepted yet but um, yeah we we love it down here it's beautiful it's a very slow way of life compared to where we were further up country um, it's a much more um, they, they kind of everybody takes their time a little bit more which is nice less stress um, but it is interesting when you kind of dabble back into um, the world above the uh, the bridge um, and then uh, everything's a little bit quicker and a little bit more stressful. So it's nice down here. It's uh, we've got everything from um, horses, like you said, the the part bred So I've got Trocaner crosses um, to our Welsh pony, to the pigs, to the sheep. Uh, Lottie wants alpacas, which we're definitely not getting, um, but I think she's going to try and work on that for a while. Uh, we've just been on holiday in Dorset. And uh, they had alpacas right outside our lodge. So that really helped on the whole kind of, she looked, look, yeah. mommy, we can have alpacas. I was like, I've always so wanted, didn't holiday. you say I've always wanted them? And you were like, have you? Where'd that come from? Yeah, yeah where always did that come from? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, for her whole life. Yeah. But when you're four, apparently when you're four, you could do anything. Um, you know, it's very different to being three. Um, right. Yeah, apparently when you're four, you know, she tells a lot of people, well, when you're four, you can do X, Y, Z. So it's quite nice to have that confidence, really. I'd like a little bit of that confidence. I think over the years, obviously, after the age of four, your confidence doesn't necessarily um, kind of keep going like that. So it would be nice to have have a little bit of that four-year-old confidence again. But, um, yeah, so we live in a very idyllic place. Uh, we're very lucky. We've got some lovely people around here. We've got some nice clients. Um, but I travel all over the country, so I can't. I don't stay down here and and never venture out we do travel around i'm lucky to go up to you know hereford and 
we go to Dorset and uh, Somerset regularly, so it's quite nice that we can get out and about. But it is yeah. a bit of so, a at the end of the world. It is a little bit, but what a lovely end of the world to be. So just just briefly, so you do uh, performance and plat. So you're Cassie Gadsby, performance and platting. Have I got that the right way round, or is it platting yeah, plat- performance? Platting and performance. I don't think we've still decided on which way round to put it. <laughs> if anybody wants to to comment. Yeah, which way around should we go? Platting and performance, performance and platting. We can't get it to work at the minute. So, uh, yeah, we need some help with that one. Uh, we're just, I've got two sides of the business. I've got the coaching side of the business and the uh, platting side of the business. I did a lot more platting. Uh, I had an accident back in 2011 um, and I couldn't ride for a while and I wanted to still go to the shows and see everybody. So I, I started platting um, for friends and things and then it got, bigger and bigger and and grew into a business which is great but as I'm getting older and the joints are struggling a little bit more um, I am not doing maybe so many so um, I want to keep the quality up but I'm having to drop the quantity a little bit because um, it is taking its toll on my body on my hands and on my elbows and my wrists and things Um, because to do it right and to you know to have it looking how I want it to look um, it, you know it is quite stressful on your body so um, I teach people now how to plat um, I love it because I love coaching so what it does is it um, incorporates the two sides of my business um, I go around and I teach people to plat and you might think oh that's not a very difficult thing to plat but there is um, a lot to it that a lot of people don't really um, take into consideration so that is um, a great side of my job now. I get to go around the country teaching people how to plat. Uh, we haven't been able to do it, obviously, for the last year because of uh, lockdown and COVID regulations. So I've gone um, and moved online a little bit more, uh, which has also been good because you can reach people that I couldn't get to. So say I couldn't get to Scotland or I couldn't get to Norfolk or places like that. It's been great because then people can still interact with me and learn, um, but they can do it online. So that's that's been good. And then the other side of my business um, is the coaching. So the horses, we have, um, I mean, my interest has always been in dressage. Um, it's always been uh, like a dressage basis because I was very lucky to grow up uh, riding at a classical dressage yard. Um, I have kind of dabbled in your cross country and show jumping and things. I think when I was 15, I thought I was going to be a professional show jumper, but um, no, that never happened. I don't think I've got enough uh, guts, really. Um, and then as I've moved on, I've learned about working equitation, which obviously, um, Jenny, you, you do quite a bit now. Um, and there's lots of people in the country now that are picking up this amazing sport because it mixes the, um, dressage with, um, other skills. So, uh, the obstacles, the obstacle round and the speed round. So it's all about finding the balance of the harmony between the horse and rider and having the horse submissive enough but not necessarily desensitized so the horse is still aware of what it's doing but it's doing it because it's happy to trust that you're going to put it in a situation that is safe um so we work with the working equitation quite a lot and i'm really enjoying that there's a lot of dressage riders out there and i'm not silly and thinking that i am the world's best dressage rider i know i am maybe you know pretty average but i love it i absolutely adore the understanding of the mechanics and how the horse works and why the horse works um so for me if i ever won the lottery um i would train every day um people always say oh they'll buy a big house they buy a big lorry but i would literally train every day all day every day um because i just don't think you can ever stop learning and i love taking that on 
um, to my clients because I've managed to kind of um, get a nice bunch of clients now who are of the same sort of frame of mind so they want to learn they want to find you know well why does the horse do that not just because they think it's naughty you know most horses don't have that part of you know they don't have that part of their brain where they sit there in the stable and they think oh today I'm going to do this to really annoy my owner Uh, they don't have that they react at the moment in the moment and they react in a certain way um you know so they 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 don't kind of do things uh with a kind of preemptive mind to it um so for people that say oh you know the horse is naughty there's normally something there and i've you know i've fallen out with people over the years because they are 100 percent adamant that it's just the horse's behavior um and a lot of the times okay maybe it might be but actually it's a behavior from something something has happened in the past which has created that reaction um and then the reaction has happened again and again and again and because um that that thing that originally started it off was never dealt with it becomes a learned behavior yeah um so i am very much whether it's a pain response or um you know a fright response you have to get to the bottom of it and find out what it is i don't think horses are necessarily being naughty i think they are reacting in a way that makes them safe uh, because that is their job at the end of the day is to keep themselves Mm. safe so we might have horses that don't like the bridge or don't like the um the gate in the working equitation you know if if your owners get mad with them and get grumpy and stroppy they're never going to like the bridge because every time you go near there you know they get hassle so you have to just Mm. approach it take a step back and you know, do your am I bothered, you know, and just mm-hmm. sit there. If it takes you an hour to sit there, you sit there for an hour until the horse goes, oh, actually, the human isn't reacting in the same way. And you find that balance between you being happy to feel that you can ask the horse to go forward and the horse feeling that they are happy to go forward because they trust you, not because they're scared of you. Um, yeah, and that's, definitely. that's where we've got to now with our, you know, with my clients around here and further afield, we have. I've now found myself a really nice bunch of clients who um, kind of support that same sort of um, ethos to it. So they work, we work together in that frame of mind. Um, I'm not of the kind of mindset of, well, just whack it, it'll go over it eventually. Um, You know, if you need to put the pressure on, you put the pressure on, but also you then praise when praise is due. Um, And some people are old school and don't really like that and think it's a bit, um, you know, airy fairy hippie type, but actually, I find that I have a quite a nice bond with my horses and it's for that reason. Mm. You really do. I mean, your gorgeous, gorgeous boy, Louis, who I know at the beginning you were so torn. Do I keep him? Do I not? What do I do? Do I do I continue on with him? And I know that that was for you was quite a sort of a mental battle, wasn't it, as to what you do? Yeah. And seeing you out the other day at your first working at competition, <laughs> the two of you, and standing next to you in the lineup was just gorgeous. That was just the nicest. Yeah, you were thing lucky. Ever, you were lucky. It? You were on the higher side of me. Only just I there. Know, I'm I coming know. to get you. <laughs> if I'd remembered my dressage test, I'd have been further up that flipping line as well. <laughs> I'm but, coming um, to get you. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you are. And do you, you know what? Coming to get me, putting up my heels, that will just push me further. So keep yeah. coming. <laughs> that's that's but, good. That's how it should yeah, be. You know, that's the thing I loved. I had what three three of um, my students that I've taught above me in the line, and I don't mind that because at the end of the day they know that I'm snapping at their heels so they've got to yeah. kick on and work a little harder you yeah. know I don't I don't mind I don't have to be out there leading I'm quite happy to shove you guys up the backside and say come on push on a bit more <laughs> yeah yeah well it won't be long till you overtake though because you know the partnership that you and Louis have was gorgeous I mean watching him 
work his way around the obstacles, watching him think about it, watching him, you know, go to you and say, uh, Mum, uh, I'm not, yeah. I'm not oh, sure God, about this. Not... And you were like, yeah, that's it, literally, bless him. It was lovely. <laughs> so just tell us a little bit about, you know, your ethos around coaching, because I know particularly you want to talk about balance as well. And it really has been like that with you and Louis, hasn't it? This sort of balance between, you know, you bred him, what do you do with him? How do you work him? What do you do? You know, just tell us a little bit about you and Louis' story. So, yeah, well, so I mean, te technically, I didn't breed him. He's bred at Knightswood Stud, which is just down the road from me. But I do own the his mother and obviously him and his sister and a whole family group. But I was very lucky that I was allowed to go and see him on the day he was born. I think I, I bugged poor Lisa that owns the stud. Um, every day for like the week before he was due and she phoned me at work and said he's arrived if you want to come and see him uh, and he was this bent up kind of gangly scrawny thing um, but he pretty much when he straightened up a little bit after the next couple of days he spent his um, rest of his life pirouetting going around in circles in canter cantering around his mother annoying everybody jumping on top of her all these sorts of things and you could tell that he was going to be quite a, a chirpy chappy now I wanted to call him because the Lusitanos are called after the year um, and I wanted to, to to buy him and I wasn't quite sure whether they were going to let me or not so um, I said you know we need to we need to name him something that's powerful and strong so I was thinking because that year was the L year I was thinking Lutador or something which means fighter in Portuguese and um, very quickly we realised that actually he's not a fighter, he's definitely a lover and not a fighter. So he was called Louis after Louis Spence, because if you um, have any, um, have ever seen Louis Spence, that is pretty much what my horse is like. <laughs> he's, he's very camp, he's very loving, he's very loud and he kind of comes in and says look at me and does a few twirly things. Um, he's he's just the nicest horse. Um, I'm not allowed to ride for four weeks, so he is on holiday, well, I don't think he's calling it a holiday, he's he's on holiday down at the lovely Nicky Allen's down at um, St. Hugh with a, an, a lady called Bird who's uh, recently lost her horse. So I thought it would be quite nice healing for her heart, but also be good for him to have um, some education from an event rider. So he's gone down there and um, I'm not sure he's too keen about the 5.30am starts when they go out for a hack though, but he is just the nicest horse. And I had a message from her yesterday saying that he makes her laugh every day. Um, and you know that's what I wanted him to do you know with regards to uh you know healing her broken heart a little bit where she's where she's lost her horse recently I wanted because he is the kindest soul just like his mother I mean and his father his father's a soppy sod as well um horses can really heal and they can really help you to balance out your life um I went through a period where I didn't have horses and I was very down um I was in a very dark place um, and my mum said to me, although you may never be rich with horses, at least you will be happier. So we um, ended up, funnily enough, with all three that I wasn't going to have Louis because the, the stud was going to keep him. So I, we put the mother in foal again to the same stallion, to Zimbrow, to Emma Brooks's lovely Zimbrow. Um, so I was going to have the, the mare, the filly, when she was all the foal when she was born. Um, and then... Um, ended up that all three of them came on the market very quickly so I ended up buying the mother and Louis and obviously the mother was in foal at the time so Mimby was born at home um, so I have her at home and I have this lovely family group now which is great but it's it kind of doesn't help my bank account but it it heals my heart um, so it does keep me happy and that's the balance that I needed you know 
um, I'm constantly working on trying to create a work-life balance between working enough to support my um, very expensive hobby, but also my, you know, family when we want to go and do things. Um, my husband and I work really hard to try and make sure that we can, you know, give the kids what they want, but also give us a, a nice life. We don't really want to be kind of eating beans for the rest of our life just so that we can keep the horses in good food. Um, but it does mean that we have to, to create the balance between it all. And, you know, like you said about, about Louis, you know, I was going to, I was thinking of selling him because he is the prettier of the two. He is the um, easier of the two uh, horses, I would say. Um, and he's brown, which makes a big difference because if you say to people, oh, you know, I'm gonna, you know you've got a horse for sale, if you say to them, it's going grey, they will probably run a mile. So uh, of the two of them, uh, Mimby is definitely going grey. She's quite poo coloured at the moment, but she's definitely going grey. So uh, um, at the moment, uh, Louis seemed to be the, the easiest one to sell. So he went away for sale um, and then lockdown happened. So I don't know if you believe in fate or not, but um, I certainly do. And he ended up coming back to me so that I could send Mimby up for backing because he needed to be schooled and hack and I can do that. So I brought him home. Um, and like you said, we've found a balance. We struggled a little bit at the beginning because I was trying to shut off and do the whole, he's going to be for sale. I don't want to fall in love with him. Um, but it's very hard not to fall in love with Louis. He is just the kindest horse you'll ever meet. He's a Labrador. If he had the opportunity to sleep on the sofa with you, he would do. Um, he's very naughty. He's got a very cheeky sense of humour. I was saying earlier that horses don't um, have that reactive, nasty behaviour in them from my point of view. But he definitely has uh, this overwhelming urge to knock over anything he can find. So uh, your wheelbarrow, if you're poo picking, um, he will throw feed buckets at you. He will take the broom and swing it round and the poo picker and all this sort of thing. So he's definitely got a very high play drive um, and he loves to be occupied and to keep his brain going, which is one of the reasons that lovely birds riding him for me over the next four weeks, because um, he would go absolutely mad and would probably decide to destroy something in his paddock if he had the opportunity and was left for four weeks doing nothing. Um, so I think he's only been there a week and he's already knocked a wheelbarrow over um, and probably tied himself up and caused lots of other trouble. He's he's not um, a horrible horse by any shape or, you know, I wouldn't say he's horrible. He's just very cheeky. Um, so you have the balance, whereas the other the other one is uh, very. Uh, she's like a raptor. She's very sharp. She's very clever, very talented. Um, but doesn't have such a high play drive. If you give her something to play with, she's not really bothered. She's not really interested in that. Um, she's much more focused and, and, and work orientated. Um, and I think, I think having both of them is quite nice because, not nice for my bank balance, but it is very good for my mental balance because where one you can go and play with and have some fun, the other one you can be more focused with. And then as, as they develop, you might find that Louis takes over and becomes more focused and you can push him a little bit more and, and push him towards the focus and hopefully Mimby as she gets older will have a little bit more um, kind of fun and play in her as well and learn to to look, kind of let her hair down a little bit and, and go out and have some fun. So we shall see. Um, but they, it is really, it's a really tough kind of thing to do to try and sell a horse. If you're, I'm, I'm not a, a natural kind of um, person that can buy and sell horses. I fall in love with them too quickly. Um, 
like all of our animals. I mean, we've got a menagerie here, and um, it's very, very hard to um, to let any of them go. Even our our broodmare Izzy, who um, I think had done a suspensory ligament when she was put in foal um, with Louis, and then she hadn't been ridden for six years. She now lives on Bobbin Moor with um, a lovely older lady who who hacks her out and loves her and looks after her. Um, so it just goes to show that you know they can go and heal. They don't necessarily have to be here healing you, but they can heal you by helping other people. So it's um, yeah. no, they are they're lovely animals and they're they're very um, rewarding. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's very interesting that you say this theme of balance keeps coming up everywhere in your life and that you've got two completely different horses at the moment um, to sort of, you know, try different things. But but what is it that you've discovered about this concept of balance, certainly over the last few months and things when you've been just sort of mulling it over and thinking about it? And what have you kind of discovered that's that's helped you or maybe even hindered you because that's that's the thing about balance isn't it yeah it's, it's tough I mean it's um I've been talking to you over the last year and working with uh, with you obviously to try and create a work-life balance um and I think I'm a lot more aware of that now and I am a lot more focused on trying to stay balanced rather than trying to exhaust myself and put too much into the work aspect and then not actually have a a family life at home um that was something that was really important to me from a a young age because my mum worked incredibly hard both my parents did worked incredibly hard and i didn't see them a huge amount because they were working so hard to provide for me but it's i wanted to make sure that i was able to provide for lottie but i didn't want to um not be there for her and i do find it hard it does it is a battle so i can see very much how you would get pulled into working constantly it's very addictive especially when you're self employed because you don't know when the next um paycheck's coming in it's you have to constantly be um almost creating a little buffer so that you have something there and you know something will come in uh, you know pony only next ray or something and and it will all of a sudden take that away and you have to then go okay i've got to prepare then to go back and and sort it out so I've been working very closely with you over the last year to try and build that work-life balance, and I do think we're getting a lot better at it. Um, but balance has come in quite a lot recently with Louis, because he's always been quite weak behind. He's, I mean, because they are a brock horse crossed with a warm blood, so you have uh, one that is shorter, stockier, um, choppier style build um, with a long-legged gang- gangly thing. Um, you know, they've got two very different horses there mixed together. Um, and he has always been uh, quite gangly, quite long and lanky. So we've been working a lot with my trainer down here um, on trying to help him balance. And it's been a real learning curve. I love it. Don't get me wrong. It's frustrated me at times. I've, you know, had days where I end up in tears. I've had days where I'm laughing. I've had days where I've loved it. But the majority of the time, it is a buzz to want to try and get a better balance and do better for him. Um, And as a rider, I want to balance myself. I want to be um, the best I can be so that I can help him. Um, I've been working with the physiotherapist um, quite a lot to help my own balance so that then I can help his balance. Um, And we work together. One thing that's been quite interesting is where parts of my body don't necessarily work or fire correctly um it's also exactly the same in his body so whether it's his 
bits that don't work that then stop mine from working or vice versa. But it's, it's very interesting how you end up mirroring each other. Um, so we've been working a lot on the balance at the moment about trying to create the ability for him to sit a little bit more and to lift the front end um, just so that he can balance and take a slightly longer stride um, so that he can come a little quicker with the hind legs. He, he has that tendency to do the Lusitano front end, which can be a little bit short and choppy at times. Um, and as he's learning now to create his balance and to find the balance between being too high, being too low and finding that space in the middle um, and, you know, spending more time uh, in that central balance area where he can hold himself, um, he's then building up the muscles that we weren't building up before. Um, so this is the, the fun at the minute. This is the challenge um, in constantly trying to, to balance it all. I was talking to one of my clients the other day and going through quite a difficult part in her uh, personal life and we were having similar issues with riding her horse so the horse has been very very tricky um, it had numerous instructors go and say um, you can't do anything with it it should go on the meat wagon all this sorts of things um, and unfortunately when somebody says that to me that kind of then gives me a bit of a challenge so we decided to work slowly and consistently with it and we worked it on the ground for probably about say four three or four months got its trust on the ground and then gradually introduced the rider and the other day we were working which seems massive compared to where we've come uh, on circles <laughs> so we were working on his balance on a circle and he can now walk trot counter around the school we even had a little jump the other day which is she's come so far and I'm so proud of her but it's interesting because it's also correlated with her journey in her personal life. So where her personal life has taken a little bit of a detour of where she was expecting it to go, um, she has then been able to take what she has learnt with her horse and put that to her personal life. Um, it's obviously a lot harder because it's more, I think it's more personal to you because it's, it's involving you yourself. Um, but she is able to see where she rides a circle on her horse there are areas that are re really nice and balanced and after those areas you tend to find an area that goes a little bit fast unbalanced a little bit unruly not really in control of that area then she comes back round and realizes that that's happening so she then starts to apply the boundaries again support with her leg encourage the horse to lift to slow um, and, and rebalances his way of going, then she gets back round to the nice part again. And the nice part happens, the balanced part happens, and she starts to kind of drop her guard a little bit and relax into it, and then the horse starts to lose a little bit of balance, um, and then the whole thing happens again. So it's a vicious cycle, and it's really interesting watching her train the horse on the circle because she was realising that um, if she prepared earlier, she could get the balanced area to last for longer. She would still have the moment of kind of erratic afterwards, um, but it was becoming less and less. And it was interesting because what we did is we had a chat afterwards and we correlated, we kind of linked the two together and we said it's the same as your personal life. At the moment, there's going to be moments which are balanced and you're happy with. And then there's going to be a scary area that you think, I can't cope with this. I don't like it. I don't want to keep going. I can't deal with this being the way it is you realize that's happening you then support and you work with yourself you work with your friends you work with your mentors people around you you go back into a balanced situation again 
and then you become a little bit kind of laid back you don't really concentrate so much on it and then it goes a little bit erratic again and it was so interesting how we could correlate the two her riding you know of the horse and how she was dealing with it also with her personal life and it was interesting because she as a rider knew how to deal because we've put the tools in place over the last six months she knew how to build up the balance to make the balance last for longer to reduce the period that was a little bit erratic um and to maintain the balance for longer with the horse so she improved and it went from maybe a quarter of a circle to half a circle to three quarters of a circle and it never went to the whole circle but it certainly built up she had a lot more of the area that was balanced and Mm -hmm. she went away and she said to me i I know what I need to do in my personal life because it's the same as my riding life, but it's a lot harder to do when it's your personal life. So I said to her, the, the, the key is really having those tools and realising in the first sense that you need to do some work on the balance. You can't just leave it and hope that it will be fine. You need to do the preparation and, the, and the, um, you know, have the support there. You can have your moments where you let your guard down a little bit, but be ready to have to kind of pick up and work again afterwards. Um, Mm. and I think she's growing in her personal, um, in her personal life because she is able to do that with her horse. And that's, you know, that might be a little bit of a a weird way of explaining it, but I do think that the horses have a really, really, um, important effect on our mental health. hundred percent. And I think, exactly. And I think that really shows your skills as a coach as well, is that you're able to coach the skill and get the mm. thing out of her but also to have those kind of conversations I mean not every coach wants to and not every coach needs to that's absolutely fine but when mm. when you have the clients that you have and you get to know them the way that you do and, and also you know you're training with us you're doing the mindset stuff you're understanding this kind of thing is that you can then take that into your coaching and you can help with things like that that seem supposedly unrelated to riding but actually are completely the same mm. and I think you know it's really interesting you were talking about balance because if we think about balance we think it's this 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 um, static thing. When you're in balance, no. you balance. But it's not, yeah. is it? You ever watch someone always on a tightrope and it's always adjusting. But the difference is the ones that look really good on the tightrope are making minute adjustments. The ones who are more likely to fall off it are the ones that over adjust. And, you know, God, yeah. I'm completely at this point in my riding at the moment. In fact, it was it was mentioned at squad training the other week was stop overcorrecting because then you create another problem. You've got to overcorrect. Mm-hmm. Just make bring it, make it more subtle. And I think the more aware you are of things and like you say, the more the quicker you catch something when it's going off kilter, the quicker yeah. you can make a small adjustment to bring it back. And that that's the skill of balance, isn't it? It's catching yeah. it. Not letting so it go ri- totally out and then... So many riders are frightened to make a mistake. Um, they go into a lesson and they expect to uh, be perfect. And I just say to people, make the mistake. You know, pe- successful people have failed more times than we have even tried. Um, so, you know, you look at somebody like Richard Branson uh, or Lord Sugar or any, you know, any of the big kind of entrepreneurs in the country, they have made more mistakes than we have even thought about getting out of bed and, and getting up for the day because they are constantly trying to find a way to make it right. And the only way really to find the way to make it right is to learn what's wrong. Um, it's the same with me in training. I will go and train with other people. I will go and watch other people. I'll watch things on YouTube. I'll um, you know, sign up for, for training things and I'll try and learn as much as I can 
because even if I don't personally agree with what that person is doing, there is something that you will learn from it. You'll either learn something that you like or you'll learn something that you don't like. Um, so that when that comes into your life and you think to yourself, oh, I remember this, I watched somebody do this and I watched the reaction of the horse and I watched how the it, it had a, like an ongoing effect. So you can choose then whether you want to be able to take that on and use that or you decide you're going to make a different decision. Um, so never ever stop learning that's the only thing I would say you know the day that you think oh you don't need to learn you don't need to have a lesson you don't need to train um, is the day that really you shouldn't be doing it because even if you hack and that's the thing you love to do you know maybe hack with somebody that's a little bit more experienced from you within you and um, you know learn something from them how do they ride how do they balance their horse because if you're trying to keep your horse in a healthy fit frame of mind as well as their frame of body you don't want to be sitting like a sack of spuds and be wonky on one side because it's not going to help the horse so even if you are naturally you just say to yourself okay I don't want to school I don't want to train I just want to hack absolutely fine but what you need to make sure you're doing is hacking in a way that is healthy for you and healthy for your horse so that you are not injuring yourself and your horse so that you're able to make sure that both of you are able to do um, you know the thing that you love to do to the best of your ability um, so it's really it's really really important to find that balance in your life whatever it is whether you want to be the best of the best and you want to go out there and you want to win um, you know the the nationals or the best show jumping competition you can find or you want to go around badminton if that's what you want to do go for it and you know absolutely stick with it and go with what you want to do you have to train hard you have to work hard not only on your horse but on yourself on your mindset your mindset is huge um, with regards to uh, horses because horses reflect you so if you are nervous um, I speak to a lot of people uh, I spoke to a lady yesterday who said she's very nervous and her horse can be quite sharp and reactive and I would imagine that the horse is sharp and reactive because it's sensitive so if she goes <gasps> oh god I'm nervous and this is going to happen even if she's not thinking it subconsciously her body is doing that and is tensing then the horse is going to feel that it, we are we are the, the predators in this situation our eyes are on the front of our head so horses with their eyes on the side of their head are the prey animal so if we as the predator are nervous about something the prey animal is like oh crikey you know it's a bit like if if we were somewhere and you're out in a dark say you're out in the dark at night and you've got your dog with you and you've got a massive great dog and you think it's okay I'm safe because I've got a big dog if your dog starts sticking its tail between its legs and shaking like a leaf that is not going to fill you with confidence you are not going to be sitting there thinking oh it's absolutely fine you're going to be thinking holy moly what is going on I'm terrified and you have exactly the same thing with your horse if you're if you are nervous and you're agitated or you're uptight about something your horse is going to feel that and is going to take that on board as well so we can't then expect the horse to take the the lead and say that's all right I'll take you through this and look after them I mean, some some horses do some horses you know really do have that leadership um side of them but most horses are followers they are herd animals who are quite happy to be the one in the middle they don't want to be the one at the back because that's the one that gets eaten they don't really want to be the one at the front because they have to make all the decisions they're happy to be the one in the middle that gets told where the water is told where the food is and told when to sleep that you know they're happy they don't really have to make the decisions so as a 
as a rider it's really important to make sure that your mental health and your mindset is being looked after and being trained you have to train your mindset as much as you train your body um, to learn how to ride because if you come in to the yard uh, my husband for example is getting better but he's not particularly horsey and he'll come into the yard and he's really high energy and he's excited about something and he'll tell me and I can feel all the horse's energy go up and be a bit agitated on the yard and he's not come in and done anything horrible to them and, and hit them or done anything nasty but he has raised their kind of reaction but just by him coming on and being slightly more um, high energy than he normally is. So you have to realise that as a rider you have that effect on horses and if you then go and get on a horse then it's really important to make sure that you are able to lower your energy or increase your energy as needed because um, mm. unless you are in control of that you are not in control of how your horse then interprets it yeah does that make 100%. sense yeah totally yeah i mean you know it's like you've read the book or something <laughs> yeah it does it totally makes sense yeah because you know and i mean that's where the the idea the premise of equine city coaching even comes from is the fact that they yeah. they mirror us they know what's going on and they'll, they'll show yeah. it to us in their in their reactions but um one of the things that kept coming into my head which was something we've been talking about as well actually is this concept of preparation and you know being prepared so if we're talking about balance and we're talking about being prepared mentally this concept of preparation just comes in all the time and i have to say i used to think oh, prep, really can't we just do it's much easier to just do i've always been a doer i'm a get stuff yeah. done kind of a girl um and i used to have to do preparation when i was a project manager because we couldn't just kind of go i don't know just do the project we had to do the prep but a lot of the time someone else had already done the prep for me i took it on once it was sold into the company and then i had to quickly look at it all make sure it was all right and then make it happen so i didn't really have to do it but one of the things that as time goes by i'm realizing more and more and certainly you know trying to really improve with riding and and on squads and things like that is preparation like you kind of you have to do it really yeah so tell us uh, we were having a great chat earlier as well and i couldn't believe the um the 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 um what's the word the connection that you made between yeah. plating and dressage i thought this was brilliant but it is it's all about this concept isn't it of you have to prep and we all say you know fail to prepare prepare to fail and things like that and there's all this yeah. stuff banded around isn't there but you know, actually hearing someone talk about it with real life stories and with real examples and, and, and the way that you talk about it, it just makes me go, oh, yeah, okay, fine. Needs to do a bit more <laughs> yeah. prep. Yes, Cassie. I'm slacking off. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. So just tell us about your thoughts about preparation and particularly, I love the story you were telling me earlier about platting as well. I mean, it's fab. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to admit, I am the world's biggest hypocrite because I am a Gemini. And as you probably know, Jenny, um, Geminis tend to do things a little bit kind of like fly by the seat of their pants. They do things like, oh, I'm going to do that today. They get really inspired by something and they literally do it and they want it now. They're very impulsive. And um, I have a sign outside that my mum bought me that said, if it wasn't for the last minute, nothing would ever get done. <laughs> because I need to have a deadline for things. I can't, um, you know, if something happens in six months, I'm... I'm not going to start preparing until two days before. I mean, I'm, I, that's naturally my makeup. That's how I am. But as I've got um, older and I've had my own business, I've realised that I do have to prepare. I can't just sit there and you know it, it'll just happen. It, you have to prepare for things. And 
what we were talking about earlier is I did um, my first platting clinic in God, well over a year last weekend um, at the lovely um, Knapp Farm in Dorset. Oh, it's just the most beautiful idyllic place. Um, it's um, one of um, the lovely dressage riders I know through the um, Iberian side of things, Charlotte Crocker Westlake. It's her her family farm. It's absolutely lovely. So we did uh, a platting clinic there to help her grooms and also some other people that, that came along that had some Iberian horses. So this was a predominantly Iberian uh, clinic, but obviously we do also go through hunter plats and things as well because a lot of her um, girls who are grooms and on apprentices, apprenticeships, sorry, will obviously go off and and go to other yards and need to learn as well. So we taught, um, I taught everything from um, how to band, how to thread, how to roll up um, normal plaits, and then obviously going through the Iberian things as well. But the preparation came up a lot because they, everyone was really kind of focused on brushing the ends of the mane. We're talking about a long mane now um, because the knots, yeah? So they knew that they had to get rid of the knots, but what they didn't really focus on was the top of the mane. Now, a lot of that could be because um, people who've got horses with long manes are very cautious about brushing their manes because they don't want the hair to fall out. But you do have to make sure that you can get through the top of the mane um, because how the plait looks and how it sits depends on your preparation of the hair, a bit like our hair. So if I wasn't to brush my hair and I tried to put it up in a ponytail, it'd probably have like lumps and bumps everywhere. Whereas if I brushed it, it would be a lot smoother. Um, so it's about the preparation of the hair that is important. And... Uh, one of the lovely ladies, Denise, that was on the course, she was platting her youngster, a beautiful horse, really, really lovely, but quite well, he'd kind of, he, he'd not really had a huge amount done with it, he had his mane washed, just like washed through, but not really had a huge amount done with it, so she was platting away, and she was doing a beautiful crest plat, she had the pattern, she understood the pattern of what she needed to do, um, but she kept saying to me, I'm getting all these lumpy bits, and why is this bit here you know, sticking up, why is this not flat? The actual plait itself looked lovely, but she was really concerned with how it was looking, um, kind of coming away from the crest area. And I said to her, did you actually brush the mane at the top? And she went, no. And it's funny, isn't it? Because saying it to you now, you probably think, well, of course you brush your mane, you, you know, your horse's mane before you plait. But actually, people don't, you know, you don't prepare. You kind of brush through it, make sure that there's no knots at the end. And then crack on, it does happen. Um, so she tried again and she, she brushed through it and, and then had a much better result. And it was funny because throughout the day she kept saying to me, do you know what, I didn't prepare it again. You know, she went in to do a tail plait and she was plaiting the tail and she said, you know, she got halfway down and everything was knotted. She said, I didn't prepare again because she was so focused on what she had to do, which was the tail plait. And because the plait to her was a bit of a challenge, it was something she had to focus on the pattern and she kind of only had so much space in her mind to remember what she had to remember about the pattern of the plait and where to hold and where to you know let your hand go so that you could get the blood back to your hand um, and where to add how to add how much hair to add is quite a lot to think about um, the preparation had gone out of her mind because the preparation wasn't something that was seen as being important in the whole scheme of things because at the end of the day, she was trying to create a plait. So for her, she had to think about the pattern of the plait and how to actually make that plait. But what she'd forgotten was the the first step, which is the preparation. So it's a little bit like me going and learning, saying, OK, I'm going to run 5K. And 
literally going out my door and running but I haven't maybe got the right clothing I haven't maybe stretched I haven't even thought about a where I'm going to go where is 5k around here um you know there's hills there's there's flat areas there's you know areas where I might struggle if I haven't got the right trainers on um is my body actually ready to run 5k um and also have I got you know water etc because the preparation isn't there I probably wouldn't have a very successful running of my 5k and then what I probably would do is give up because that's what tends to happen whereas if I had prepared and I'd maybe eased my body into it done a few walks made sure that I've got the right clothing made sure I've got the right footwear then I would probably have a lot lot more success at running that 5k and it's the same as the platting how many people do you know who I mean I know because I plat for people at competitions because they go oh I can't do it or I'll do it for a dressage but you know I can't do it because they give up and the reason that they give up is that the preparation wasn't there to begin with I was saying um, earlier to Jenny that um, tail plats oh they make me laugh because the, the top bit is difficult it's really difficult and most people give up the tail plat at the beginning because it's hard but the thing is you're never going to learn how to do a tail plat unless you practice the pattern of a tail plat so unfortunately what you have to do is get through the crappy bit at the top which is hard yeah it might not look right it might be wonky you might have a bit sticking out all over the place but once you get further down maybe past the first few inches it becomes a lot easier because the hair is longer you've got um the dock you can push the dock right back against the horse's um, back end so you can actually use the the horse to push against it makes it a lot easier people then get the pattern and then they finish off beautifully and what it might be i'm saying to to the girls at the weekend that your tail plait tells a story it's a little bit like a dressage test you get your sheet back and you look down it and it tells a story about what happened you came through, you came down the centre line, your horse had a little bit of a spook at the judge, so you know the, the, the scores were accordingly. And then as the horse started to get used to the arena, the, the scores go up, um, you know, that settles into the rhythm. You start to relax because you're not thinking, oh God, this is terrifying. You're thinking, I'm nearly there, I'm getting to the end. So you start to relax a little bit more. You've remembered your most of your tests, so you're not panicking anymore about having to remember so much of your tests. So, you know, your score probably improves as you go through your dressage test and then you come to the end and you think oh holy moly I've finished so you get a nice nice kind of square halt at the end and yeah the beginning bit may have been tense it may have been fives and fours at the beginning because it's a little bit tense but actually because you didn't go oh my god it's a rubbish start I'm going to give up and just walk out the arena you carried on you allowed yourself to settle into what you were doing a little bit more you remembered your test you started to give yourself a bit of a pat on the back for not getting lost um and the horse started to relax you started to relax and it works really nicely so hopefully as you get your sheet you start to improve and you see some really good scores there that then when you go back out again and you look at your test sheet you think to yourself okay well that's all right I got better I can do that I got some reasonable scores there I'm going to have another go if you had given up when it went wrong coming down the center line you wouldn't ever go back in and do another dressage test and that's exactly the same as people with tail plaits so one of the reasons I think that people pull tails so much and don't plait them um, is because the top bit, especially if the horse has like rubbed the, the top of the hair quite short, it can be quite difficult to, to plait. So um, the other thing is that if your horse is not used to you plaiting its tail, it's probably going to go and wiggle its tail around and lift its dock and be annoying. And, and because you're tickling it, you know, the, the dock is incredibly soft. So 
you're playing with um, a really soft area of the horse's tail and you're irritating it, it's going to wiggle around. So the more you practice, the more the horse gets used to you touching its tail and plaiting its tail. Also, the more you get used to the pattern of what you're doing. When you have um, got the pattern almost so it's subconscious to you, it becomes easy then you can then start to put your focus into perfecting the areas that you aren't particularly happy with. Exactly the same as driving. How many times did you get in a car the first time you learned to drive and thought, crikey, I can't remember, I've got to put my foot on the clutch, I've got to move this gear stick, and you definitely have to look because you can't remember which gear is where. You had to have your hand at a certain place, you had to check your blind spot and put your indicator on and try and do the clutch control to get your car to go off. And you had to do all of that without crashing into something on the road. Now, if we all had thought it was difficult at the beginning, which I would imagine nine times out of ten we did. Um, but we went, oh, it's hard, I'm not going to do it. None of us would be driving. But because most of us are driving, it goes to show that you can get over those little hard things. Okay? The fact that most of you are walking around shows that you got over the fact that you fell over when you were a baby. <laughs> you know, if, if you fell over as a child, and said, you know, and thought, that's it, I've failed, I can't do it, you'd all be sat on your backside for the most of your life. So it's exactly the same as riding a dressage test, as going through working equitation tests. You know, that is one of the hardest challenges you'll ever do because it's so many things to think about, but it's great, it's such a challenge because when you've done it, you come out with the most euphoric feeling because you've achieved something that was quite tough. But if you don't get off the sofa and have a go in the first place you are you know you're just going to sit there and go oh well that's rubbish I can't do that and you know that's not you know that's no fun you have to fail in order to be able to make yourself better and that's what I'm saying about the plaiting and the preparation of the plaiting is that yes your brain is going to focus on the hard things um you know it's going to say oh, it's difficult I can't do it I want to quit because that's difficult but actually, if you work through the difficult bits, yes, it might not look great to begin with. Practice the pattern, make it easier for yourself, and then you can go through and it will gradually come easier and easier. Yeah. And I think so many people, when it comes to plaiting, because we're not, I, mean, I do showing, right? So plaiting is very much taken into account. But for anything else, it's not really. I know we get a turnout mark in Working Ec, but, you know, even then, they're not, up close scrutinizing your plats they're sat in a judge's box at the dressage test aren't they so unless you do showing in which case you've got to have yeah plats, a lot of people will just chuck them in and go that'll do and yeah. i mean i know i've done years and years of horrendously embarrassing plats but i would always do them i would always do them yep. and so therefore i i learned but unfortunately of course back then when i didn't really know about this sort of thing it would always be on the morning of the test when I was already in a rush or nervous yep. about things. Stress. And my horse, yep. funnily enough, wouldn't stand still and I'd get annoyed with him. And of course, they'd look terrible. And so then, yep. you know, you start thinking my plaits are awful until I one day learned that actually you can plait the night before and stick a hood on. Or as I learned mm -hmm. from you guys, you can um, weave tights down the neck. That's quite yep. a good one. A very good tip, that one. Um, and, and then started to actually then take my time doing plaiting. And then over the years recently, people have looked and they're certainly never to your standard, but my plaits are quite acceptable now. You know, they're fine, apart from the other ones from the other day, because I was in a hurry in the morning and I was really tired, but that's fine. <laughs> and, you know, so um, 
and people would sort of say, oh, you know, how are your plats so good? And I was like, years of terrible ones. That's how they say yeah. it. Years of yeah. shockingly horrendous ones that would fall out the moment we went anywhere. We'd get there and half of them would be gone. Um, you know, they'd be golf balls at one end and diddly things at another and all this kind of thing. But it is, it's also the preparation of the main as well and knowing how you need the main to be before you even start the plat. Yeah. But I think the reason that I'm beating you, on about it. Until you plat, you don't know that, do you? That's we don't know, exactly. Is so many people um either i mean nowadays there's more people like yourself that will plat for you you know so a lot of people go just do it for me and i get that i do get that but there was one lady at our recent yard and you know she always used to pay for someone to plat her horse ready for dressage and i'd be like that's all very well and everything but every time you pay them 15 pound that's another class basically that you've paid yeah. them to do plats for dressage unaffiliated yeah. as well i mean i get it for championships i get it for you know big events i get someone to plat for me for big showing things because i want them to be on point and actually fair but enough also it's a know. lack of stress yeah yeah exactly and that's cool i'm all about that i'm all about get a professional to do something for you well however you don't want to be paying that every time that you're going to go to an unaffiliated dressage competition down the road and she said, yeah. oh, you know, I'm no good at it. I was like, well, there's only one way you're going to get good at it, isn't there? And that's not watching someone else or even worse, just paying them to do it, turning up yeah. and they're done. So I think, yeah, you know, what it's good. About it is important. You, yeah. And, you know, you need to be practicing. So so what you, you've got an online course, haven't you, where people can actually just take their time, break it down and look at it. So tell us just a little bit about that and actually how that helps yeah. people. To funnily enough, get better. <laughs> yeah, I mean the online the online course actually is funny because it was a secondary thing to the um, to the platting clinics that I did. So I did the one to one platting clinics, and then the online course came about because of lockdown. Um, and I thought, well, loads of people are going to have time on their hands; they can they can practice platting. But the online course is actually, I would say, almost better in a way. I mean, there's a lot of people who need to learn um in a in a one-to-one -one or, or with somebody so they can show you and explain it to you but you are pretty much getting me showing you and explaining to you um on the online course so the online course gives you such it gives you a much better view than you might have if you're at a clinic and there's a few people there where you're just watching around um because you're pretty much watching it from my point of view so you're seeing what i'm seeing you're seeing um what i would see where i would be looking and I was thinking about this the other day when the guys were watching from the ground, you know, there was there was times where I would put the forceps in to do a thread through plat, for example. So the little scallop plats, I put the um, forceps through um, and then actually I came down off my steps and I said, look, guys, go up and have a look to see where it is, because although they could see from the bottom, so they could see what I was doing, um, they couldn't see what I could see. So they went up the steps one by one and had a little look and, and seeing where I put it in, the angle that I put the forceps in, because that makes a massive difference. You know, um, being a few millimetres to the left or to the right has a, has a huge effect on your plait because it can twist the plait. So if you're not in the centre, your plait is going to have a twist. And then if one of your plaits has a twist, it looks out compared to the rest of them. Uh, little things like that. Um, that I, It wasn't until I did the, the clinic the, the other day that I realised from the online side of things how much more of a, a bird's eye view, a better view you have. So it, it has changed my way that I teach my platting clinics one-to-one, -one, you know, my, my uh, me, clinics with me and, and other people, because I'm now giving them more opportunity to go up and have a look and see what I'm doing, especially if, you know, if you've got a tiny pony, it's fine, but if you've got a whacking great horse like we had at the weekend, 
um, you can't see. You can see what I'm doing, but you can't see how I'm doing it to the extent that I can see. And the great thing about the online course is that gives you a view from my point of view. So you can see how I put the needle through, how tight I get it, where I push my thumbs, um, you know, and because it's on a video, you've got um, unlimited access to it. You can stop it and go, oh, hang on a minute. I didn't see that. Let's go back again and, and rewind it if you need to. Whereas when you're at a clinic, you know, most people sit there and they kind of just, they ask questions afterwards, but they wouldn't say, oh, look, Cassie, can you stop that? Can you do that whole thing again? Um, because I didn't quite see it. You know, they don't necessarily have the confidence. I would do it, it doesn't matter. Um, but they don't have the confidence necessarily to ask. Whereas with the online course, um, it gives you, you know, you can sit there and you can go, oh, I still don't get that. You know, rewind it 15 times, you know, 16 times, watch it over and over again and go, oh, I see what she's done. Because it, it, I've slowed a lot of it down as well. So you can see it in a slightly slower um, format. So it's, it's much easier to to watch. But also, you know, things like the stitching, it's really important to watch how the needle goes in, where the needle goes in. Um, and you can see that from the bird's eye view a lot better than you can if you are on a clinic. Um, when you're on a clinic, the, the good thing about it is that you get to do it um, and you will go through each and every plat and you'll do a few. And then I will come in and I'll be stood with you and I can help you and say, OK, we'll pull that bit to the left or put it to the right. But what we've done with the online side of things to give you that um, aspect is we've created a Facebook group called Plat Like a Pro. And you can then go in and everybody's lovely in there because everyone's in the same boat and they can go, well, I did this plat, but, you know, for example, the tail plat, I've had a lovely lady put in recently, she did a tail plat, but her plat actually sat more to the left than it did to the right. And that'll be because she's stronger with one hand than the other. So she's probably more able to grip with one side than she is with the other. But it doesn't mean that she should stop and, you know, because she's doing it wrong. Crikey, no, just keep practicing. But bear in mind each time you do it that you might need to grip a little tighter with your right hand than you do with your left and put your right thumb on top. So she can come in and say, OK, this is what's happening and I don't understand why it's happening. Um, and luckily, you know, I will normally get back to her and say, OK, well, this is what's happening. But somebody else normally comes and goes, oh, I had that. And I found that when I did this, that happened. So everyone's helping each other out. Um, to sort each other's problems out, which is really nice. You know, or somebody will come in and say, oh, well, I couldn't do it that way, but I tried to do this and that worked instead. So, yes, you get me um, and you get me for as long as you want me. Whereas when you're on a day course, you pretty much, I mean, we did six hours solid the other day um, and we still didn't get through everything because you, you, your brain can take in so much information. So the great yeah. thing about the online course is that you can watch a bit when you need to you know even if you're platting that evening um, you know like you said get a glass of wine that helps a lot um <laughs> you know put your phone in the in the the corner of the stable have it playing and you know and doing your plats and if you get stuck you know yep. kind of go oh, right what have i got to do and just rewind back a little bit and yep. that's why the online side of things has been so positive um yes because of covid everyone started using online things a little bit more but so it's giving you a little bit more of a view from uh, my point of view, like mm. a little bit more than you would get. I mean, don't get me wrong, the clinics are still fun. They're great giggle. We have a laugh. We get ourselves in the right muddle and everyone makes a mistake and and um, we have to kind of work out how we've managed to get that bit of the plat to look like that because <laughs> everyone twists their hands in funny ways. But it's, yeah. um, it gives you another option if you are nowhere near where we're doing a platinum clinic, for example. 
Exactly. And the other thing is, even if you are nearby a platinum clinic, you can come to one. If you then also have your online course with yeah. it as well, then you've got yeah. everything you learn there in person because we all learn. We need a varied style to learn. So you've got the in person. And then when you go back, you've got reminders and things that you probably would have missed. And like you say, you, you only remember the first and last bit of something. Mm. Recency, recency. So six hours of platinum clinic. Great. You probably take away quite a lot from that. Absolutely. But you're going to yeah. have forgotten an probably awful it. lot of so, even Tiny if you amount, yeah. Down. yeah. And, the, and of course, it's such a visual thing that having those visuals really, really helps. So, yeah, I would absolutely recommend to anyone who wants to get better at platting that you've got to do one major thing and that's practice it. And but you've got yeah. to make sure you're practicing it right. Otherwise, you keep practicing it wrong and you'll keep doing it better wrong. Um, so, it's you yeah, know, because knowing how whatever you practice, you perfect. That's it. So exactly. if you if you practice it, it's the same as it's the same as riding a rubbish circle, isn't it? If you ride the circle the same every time, you get really good at riding a really bad circle. <laughs> so, exactly, exactly. Practice makes same. perfect. Um, sorry, not practice makes perfect. Um, practice makes permanent. Yeah, it doesn't make perfect. But it does. At all. But it does make perfect whether you're practicing it perfectly wrong or perfectly exactly. right. So, it does, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. the, that's the thing about we were talking about you know summing it up about life. It, it's about mm balance and balance isn't having it all correct or having it all wrong it's having adjustments lots and lots of adjustments um but hopefully smaller adjustments than bigger adjustments um to get that balance where you want it it's never going to be still it always moves but hopefully in smaller increments than in bigger ones absolutely awesome um, and I know there are free resources and things that people can go and get and look on YouTube and things like that. But the, the real thing about your course and the wonderful thing about it is that they get access to you as well. So that if they if they come into that, then, yeah, they you can practice it, video it yourself, send a picture or something and go, ah, oh, Cassie, help. And you can't do that. For the <laughs> Why is this YouTube, doing you know? <laughs> Exactly. Um, and then you have been known as well to go, oh, I'll just do a quick video of you yeah. on something because I didn't do it or there's an extra bit here you need or maybe you haven't thought of this and, and get that extra bit. So it's it really is. It's awesome. It's so good. So I would encourage anyone it's, to invest you know, in that little, as well. Little things. It's, it's a, and it's, I mean, it's not it's not expensive for, for what you get. It's not expensive. Um, and you, like I say, you can keep it for as long as you want to. So if you keep it and then, you know, and the great thing about the video is if you keep it and you've got a family of four of you, instead of having to pay for all four of you to come to a clinic, you can all sit there and learn together. You know, it's 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 what you make it. So it's there for you if you want it. Please help yourself. But you can find it on the horsycourses.com. So. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll um, we'll post a link to it as well. So thank you so much, Cassie, for your musings on balance and and um, preparation and how plaiting is very akin to life and dressage. Um, and we wish you the absolute best of luck with everything you're doing with Louis. I wish I had bought him at the moment when you thought about <laughs> selling him. But hey ho, it obviously wasn't meant to be. He's clearly your boy. Um, and we look forward to seeing you out and about and, and hopefully um, people will be in touch. How do they get in touch with you if they want to? Uh, they can either contact me on the Facebook page. So I've got the Cassie Gadsby Equine Platting. I've also got the Cassie Gadsby Coaching um equine coaching page have a little look find me on there um follow me anyway if you want to because you'll get loads of hints and tips um whether it be random you know mutterings but feel free to uh, to to come along i'm on instagram as well so have a have a little look on instagram i'm sure you can find me on there with those as well cool thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure and i hope you go and have a lovely wonderful sunny day in cornwall yeah we will thank you <laughs> see ya bye
and I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google and on Podbean. Hack Your Mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast, so please do subscribe, follow us and we look forward to you listening in to our next one. Bye everyone.